Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing this show since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, The FinTech Blueprint with Lex Sokolin and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro, or listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you that FinTech Nexus is now a digital media company. We have sold our events business and are 100% focused on being the leading digital media company for FinTech. What does this mean for you? You can now engage with one of the largest FinTech communities, over 200,000 people, through a variety of digital products, webinars, in-depth white papers, podcasts, email blasts, advertising, and much more we can create a custom program designed just for you. If you want to reach a senior fintech audience, then please contact sales at fintechnexus.com today. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Melissa Widner. She is the CEO of LIDAR Capital. So I wanted to get Melissa on the show because LIDAR have been around for a long time. They basically invented uh, revenue-based financing, and I've never had them on the show. So I wanted to get Melissa on. We obviously talk about uh, the company and their history. We talk a little bit about how Melissa became involved. Um, we obviously talk about the the types of companies they work with, uh, the type of financing they do. We talk about the impact of the pullback in venture capital and even more importantly, the impact of uh, Silicon Valley Bank and how that changed their business. Um, We talk about loss rates, credit facilities, and much more. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Great to see you. Why don't we get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Tell us some of the highlights of your career before Lighter Capital. Okay, well, I would consider myself first and foremost an entrepreneur. I ran a and started a couple of companies that both had good exits. And then I became a venture capitalist and I was working um, in the US in a venture for in a venture capital firm. And then in 2009, I moved to Australia with an Australian husband and um, ended up helping launch. And I was the managing partner for NAB Ventures, National Australia Bank's venture fund. We did all fintech investments. Um, most of the ones, most of the investments that I worked on directly were out of, were in U.S. companies. And in 2018, we invested along with Silicon Valley Bank in Lighter, and I went on their board. And in 2020, I became Lighter Capital CEO. Okay. And so you, you're you actually in Sydney right now. I know that we were- I'm in Sydney right now, which is rare. I've been in the U.S. mostly in the last <laughs> six months, but I'm in Sydney. You happen to be in the suburb next to where I used to live. So yeah. in, in Mossman, for those people who are who know Sydney, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely part of the city. So tell us a little bit about how you kind of first got involved with LIDAR and what, what led to you taking on the CEO so I we first got involved in Lighter when um, NAB National Australia Bank made a venture investment mm-hmm. into the company in 2018. Lighter Capital started in 2009, and the business model really resonated with me because I was 
an entrepreneur, also an angel investor, and a venture capitalist. And there's such a need for this alternative form of financing. And I, you know, I experienced that and saw that up close. As we know, venture capitalists fund a really small percentage of businesses. The figure that's thrown out the most often is 1% in terms of 1% of technology businesses, but it's what gets all the press. So if you're starting a company in the tech space, um, a lot of times people assume that their only path to funding is venture, but in reality, venture funds such a small percentage of companies. So the the business model of funding these um, these companies with revenue that need growth capital that maybe aren't ready yet for venture or will never want to do venture, um, it really resonated with me. So National Australia Bank and Silicon Valley Bank invested in 2018. I, you know, uh, liked the company even more after investing and getting more involved on the board side than I did pre-investment, which sometimes isn't always the case when you're in venture and you you get involved in the company. I'd never been involved in a company whose customers love them this much. And and it's it's actually easy to be loved when you're providing financing and, and um it's it's so easy to obtain compared to going, you know, down a typical capital raising path that can take months or years. I became the CEO in 2020. We had to bring in a new CEO. We had a CEO who was there for a pretty short time who came in in 2019. Really good guy, didn't have a lending background though, and we needed to replace the CEO. And in 2020, um, I just love the company and and applied for the role and and moved from board member to CEO. So I've been there for a little over three years in in that capacity. So what's it like running a, an American fintech company from Australia? Yeah, well, it's interesting because if it hadn't been like the middle of COVID, I would never would have thought this was possible. And right. and pre-COVID, Seattle was uh, very much, our, our lighter capital was very much a pre-COVID company in terms of the workforce was all in one office. They'd hire somebody from New York to run New York and require that they move to Seattle to do it. So, you know, there was the the thought that you everybody had to come into an office and work together every day for uh, the company to be effective. And we figured out after COVID hit, that's not the case. That said, I spend close to half my time in the U.S., but, you know, not necessarily in Seattle. We have investment directors all over. So typically when I'm in the U.S., I'm, I'm not even in Seattle. And at this point, Lighter Capital has... has uh, team members in nine different countries. Wow. Wow. And do you, I mean, I think I was reading somewhere you actually have operations in Australia now. You're lending to Australian businesses? Yeah, we launched in 2021. So it's been almost three years that we've been funding companies in Australia. Okay. And so is it Australia, the US, is there any other, Canada as well? In Canada. Yep. Okay. In Canada. And then we also will look at companies from New Zealand. A lot of the companies, the companies, as long as they have operations in one of the countries where we are set up to lend, which is Australia, Canada, and the US, then we can fund them. So a lot of the companies that we fund, um, their headquarters might be based in one of their those areas, but their operations are somewhere else. Well, maybe you could explain the product and how how the financing works, just so we can all kind of be clear about what Lighter Capital does exactly. Yeah. So we do revenue-based financing. Lighter Capital is the pioneer in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, since 2009, we've done over a thousand rounds of financing, supported over 500 companies. Um, most companies take multiple rounds from us, but the way it works, um, it's a very simple application process. I'll start with, you know, the, the minimum requirements for a company to receive our funding is that they have at least 200,000 in annual recurring revenue. 
And we like to see that from a variety of different customers. So there's not customer concentration. Um, it's typically recurring revenue, it doesn't, which doesn't necessarily mean it's contracted revenue, but it's very predictable and coming from, you know, the same customers are buying the product over and over again. Um, the, act, the actual application process is pretty simple. It takes about 10 minutes to fill out our application. Our, well, a pre-qualification application takes 45 seconds to see if you might be a fit, and that's on lightercapital.com slash apply. But our application takes 10 to 15 minutes, you know, and we connect to the bank account, the accounting platform, and the billing platform if the customer is using one. And we we basically make our, our credit decisioning based on the data. So, you know, compared to, I was in venture, I pitched to venture, that can take months. It's kind of a black box. You don't know if you're going to get funded. This is very simple. You can get an answer, you know, usually within a couple of days and funding within a couple of weeks. So then what kinds of companies, the way you describe it there, that's pretty broad. And there's lots of companies that have $200,000 or more in recurring revenue. What types of companies, what types of industries are you mostly focused on? We're not industry specific. Most, but not all of our companies are B2B SaaS companies. Okay. What kinds of companies are not a good fit? I mean, do you, like, they might have the recurring revenue, but for whatever reason, they don't pass your your underwriting test. Is this sort of a sweet spot for who is the best fit? Um, the sweet spot are typically technology companies, like I said, B2B SaaS. In terms of who wouldn't be a fit, um, it's more if a company doesn't have runway, we'll get companies coming to us when they have two weeks or a month of cash right. left. And that's typically not a fit. Um, we want to see longer runway. We want to see, you know, even with our capital, we want to see longer runway. Companies that have one customer, you know, one or two customers aren't a fit because we're relying on revenue to be paid back. So the way that our product works, we have we have two products. We have a standard term loan and we also have our revenue-based financing product. And our revenue-based financing product, it works where a company pays us a percentage of their cash collected revenue until the loan is paid off. So um, they don't pay, they have a fixed amount that they're going to pay us back, but the rate at which they pay us back is dependent on um, how quickly they grow. So if they grow faster, they don't pay us back more, but we get paid back faster, which is great for us because then we have a higher IRR and, and that ends up being more profitable. And if they grow slower or they go out of business, we maybe don't even recover the money that we put out the door. But so we look for companies that have a variety of customers and and low churn. Um, But that said, you know, some of the companies we find have really high churn, but they're good at replacing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. What about the, the, the typical financing terms? Like what's the size of the funding raise? What's the average kind of payback time period? That's and the interest rate. We will fund anywhere from $50,000 all the way up to $4 million. Wow. And in terms of sizing, we will typically go up to for smaller companies, and we would call a smaller company, a company with under $3 million in annual recurring revenue, we could fund a third of their revenue. So think of a company doing, say, a million dollars, we could fund three fifty to 400000 and as they grow, they can take more. So if their revenue grows to two million, you know they can they can qualify for up to you know six or seven hundred thousand. And when they're over three million in revenue, we can fund up to half of their recurring revenue. So a company doing four million could access two million in capital. Um, in terms of the terms, 
We can do short-term, which is typically one year, up to longer term, which might be three, three, four plus years. Companies, depending on their cash needs, if it's just a bridging need, they might be looking for a short-term. And the pricing is based on the risk of the company. So um, if a company sort of sits in an average risk uh, scenario and they're looking for funding for, say, a year, that would typically be around a 1.1. So I'd give you a dollar, Peter, you're going to pay me back a dollar ten if it's over a year. If it's over three years, you know, it might be more to a dollar thirty to a dollar forty. When it comes to your underwriting, then I presume you have, you know, you're you're looking at all the data that you, you talked about, the accounting data, the bank account data, that sort of thing. How how wide is your underwriting box and how strict are uh, like I'm just kind of trying to get a sense of that process of of underwriting, how you go about that. Well, for companies that are a typical B2B SaaS, it's pretty straightforward. We have a we have technology that we've built. The algorithm has been perfected over the last decade plus where we're taking in all the data. Um, some of it's from the application, but most of it's from the banking info and the accounting info and, and the billing info. And that produces a risk rating score. And um, and that's pretty straightforward. Now, there's a lot of companies that don't neatly fit into the box. And then in that scenario, our underwriters might, with our investment directors, who are people who work directly with the companies, might dig in a little bit more to say this, you know, this doesn't fit neatly into our credit box. But, you know, can we get can we understand the business a little bit more so we can maybe figure out if it's something we could fund? So then I think you said like like. Lighter Capital really was the first kind of revenue-based financing fintech lender, and we've uh, we've had our, the founder speak at our our events over the years. But these days, it seems like there's quite a few revenue-based financing companies out there. Do people understand the concept now? Do you have to explain it every time? I mean, the term loan people get that. Do your customers and your investors, for that matter, does everyone get it now? Well, a lot of companies call themselves revenue-based financing that aren't necessarily revenue-based right. financing, sure. where if, if a payment is fixed, which is most of the companies in our space that call themselves revenue-based financing, they have a fixed payment. And that's not what we would call revenue-based financing. Revenue-based financing, the payment is based on the revenue, the cash-collected revenue. And why that's really beneficial to a company is that if, you're, if your cash is lumpy, your cash collections take a dip for some reason, you, you've got that downside protection. You don't have an onerous, you know, loan payment to make in a cat in a month where you're not collecting a lot of cash. And we saw that really come into play in COVID, where you know, we had some companies whose revenue literally overnight, you know, declined 70, 80, even 90 percent. We had a company in um, the food delivery business for corporate. So they would, you know, provide lunch, you know, think of Google, They Google has their own cafeteria. Think of companies that don't have their own cafeteria and they provide lunch. So you imagine what happened to that company during COVID, their revenues declined 90%. Well, the amount they were paying us declined 90%. So they were able to get through that time. We had another company that is a ticketing company. Same thing. They're they're a great company. They were growing like a rocket ship. Then COVID hit. Their revenues are a percentage of ticket sales for um, events. Their customers are uh, event venues. Um, their revenues declined a lot during COVID. They're back on that rocket ship again. 
but they didn't, you know, they weren't burdened by this big, you know, loan payment because it was dependent on their cash collected revenue. So then, you know, it's no secret that venture capital has been tight, much more tight than it has been in the 21, 2020 timeframe. And, uh, but I'm curious about the fact that because venture capital money has been so tight, has that been a good thing for you guys? Or is that, how has that impacted you, if at all? We're seeing a lot more in the last year than we've ever seen in the, you know, 13, 14 year history of lighter capital of venture back companies coming to us. Typically, a lot of times our companies will go on and get venture backing. In fact, we spend a lot of time helping our companies do that. A lot of our direct investors are venture capitalists. A lot of our networks venture capitalists. So we actually spend a lot of time when our companies want to go down that path, helping them with their pitch decks and then helping them with warm introductions to investors. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to give the impression that this is an either or because that's not the case. But um, what we're seeing more than we have in the past, typically if a company was on that venture path, you know, they're sort of done with revenue-based financing. They're now going on that path where, okay, it's we're going to um, increase our sales and raise the next round at a higher valuation, increase sales, raise the next round at a higher valuation, and they're on a very different path. Um, but what, we're, what we've seen in the last year is companies that had raised venture financing um, still are growing, but because they maybe raised it in 2021 when valuations were much higher than they are today, they're coming back and they're coming to us and doing a revenue-based financing round because they don't want to, they don't want to do a priced round in this environment. So that's the that's the real difference is seeing more venture-backed companies looking at this alternative. So I want to talk about Silicon Valley Bank. And it was kind of funny. Yeah. I remember we had uh <laughs> lunch in San Francisco right. on the, the Thursday when this whole thing was going down um, with our good friends, uh, Rob Frowine and Catherine Petralia. And you know where I was going right after that meeting, Peter? I was running late from our lunch to go to a meeting at Silicon Valley Bank at their San Francisco headquarters. Right, right. So <laughs> that would have been an interesting meeting, I'm sure. So then, you know, clearly that they were a big provider of capital to you know, to the technology space. And I know the Silicon Valley Bank still does exist under its new owners, but I'm curious about, like, I'm sure for you, I think you said you had your um, bank accounts at Silicon Valley Bank or one of them. Yeah. So I'm sure it was a major crisis for lighter capital in the short term. But now, you know, obviously we all got through those terrible four or five days. We didn't know what was going to happen. How has that impacted you guys? Particularly, I'm interested on the demand side. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Our our chairman, Mark Verissimo, is ex-SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. And in fact, he was there for 24 years wow. and held almost every C-level position during his time there other than CEO. And his last job when he retired in 2016 was um, as chief, chief risk officer. So uh, he had a lot to say. In fact, I did a, I, I have a podcast, a Lighter Capital podcast, where we mostly interview our Lighter Capital customers. But in this case, we did one with Mark shortly after SVB collapsed. And um, in fact, we're, we're doing another one in the next week to say sort of eight months on what's happening in the banking industry. So so this is fresh on my mind right now. In terms of how it's impacted us, this, the four days were really stressful, obviously, because we banked there. Um, SVB right. is an equity investor in Lighter. So that didn't really have an effect on us. They're, they're an equity investor. Luckily, they weren't the provider of our capital. So our funding comes from a warehouse facility, which is provided in the U.S. by Apollo. And so luckily it wasn't SVB or that would have been doubly stressful. 
it's very much back to BAU. You know, they play in a different space than we do. That's really uh, bank venture debt. They're looking at companies that are venture backed and looking at funding um, along with the venture round. So um, it's never been a competitor to Lighter. It's been really complimentary. In fact, we refer a lot of deals to those types of companies and vice versa. You know, they'll see a lot of companies that are too early for their investment um, for what they'll lend to and they'll they'll refer them to Lighter. But in terms of the market in general, I, that market has become really competitive. So when SVB blew up and you know now they're back to back to normal and seem to be operating this you know the same way they did before before they before March under uh, first citizens but there's a lot of other companies that moved into the space HSBC took a lot of XSVB people Stiefel took a lot of XSVB people JP Morgan has been in this space for a while um, first citizens with SVB is still really active so what I've heard from my friends in that space is that it's just a dogfight. It's very competitive. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So then looking at your your business now, they're running in three different geographies. Is the core offering the same or do you kind of tailor your offerings for, you know, is it different in Canada and Australia than what it is in the U.S.? No, B2B SaaS companies have the same needs in Australia as they do in the US. And it was interesting. You know, we have to have a separate warehouse facility provider here that we have than than our US one. And you know, the the US facility wanted to see, okay, let's see if Australia really works the same way as the US. And you know, it turns out it does. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Good to hear. Okay. So then I want to talk about losses and you know, clearly you've been you've been doing this for a while, so you've got you've got a fairly long track record. You've also done it through some tumultuous times. But can you give us a sense of sort of the the typical loss rate that your portfolio undergoes? Lighter Capital has a one point six percent historical loss rate. Wow, that's really low. You should be more aggressive when you lend. <laughs> well, that's a question, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> How did that change during the pandemic? Well, COVID actually had the, if you look at the the loss rate during COVID, it was almost nothing. And right. that is because we would, we do model in losses that will have losses. What we saw in COVID is that companies, and when, typically when we, when we have losses is, what, is when a company goes out of business. So, you know, it just right. doesn't work for whatever reason they're, they're out of business and what happened and remember we're not with these companies forever we're with we're with them for a year i mean a lot of companies take multiple rounds so we have examples of where that we're with them for you know 8 plus years but um you know our, our typical loan duration is 3 years so what happened during covid is companies that maybe were not doing well before covid hit and you know wouldn't have gotten the next round of financing didn't have enough funding to survive um, they got these PPP loans and other government grants and and they ended up surviving. So so we actually had, which is bizarrely lower, much lower loss rates during COVID. And it, it was one thing, it's interesting, we were just, you know, we put together our pitch deck sort of at the beginning of this year and talking to some investors. Our, our losses for, um, I think 2021 was like $2,000. And then you're showing our projected <laughs> losses for the for the year, because we had, you know, we had recoveries and you, you, right. you'll, you'll, you'll write something off and then recover, 
you know, but we're showing projected losses at our normal normal historical rates going forward. And we would have investors saying, why are losses going to go up so much? And you know, you'd say, well, we're, we had $2,000 in, in that year. It just, so it was, it had, you know, the opposite happened of what we thought would happen. We thought when COVID hit that it would, um, you know, losses would really be a lot higher than 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 we had historically. Right. So then what about demand? I mean, B2B SaaS is, seems to be a really healthy sector. Um, we're coming towards the end of 2023. What's what's demand been like this year compared to previous years? So this year, the first half of this year compared to last year was lower. And what we we are money that you would take to grow. Mm-hmm. So it's much less expensive than equity, but it's still expensive. You know, you're taking debt, you're paying back more than you're borrowing. So you're it's it's super cheap compared to equity, compared to selling equity. But if you're not going to take that money to grow, it doesn't make sense. So there was a lot of uncertainty. I mean, there's still uncertainty. But there was a lot of uncertainty in the first half of the year. And I'd say even going into Q3, we're seeing a, a huge pickup in this quarter. Um, but the first half of the year was slower than last year. I think that, you know, when we look at why our com- why our typical customer comes to us, you know, we don't fund companies who need money to survive. They're going to die because they can't make payroll. You know, they're not going to qualify for, for our funding. We're funding companies that, you know, have a strong customer base, low churn, and they maybe want to hire, put on some more salespeople. They want to develop a new product or there's something there's some money they're seeking in order to grow. So when there's uncertainty around growth, companies, you know, naturally sort of pull back, you know, the good ones naturally sort of pull back and say, okay, let's figure out what's going to happen here. Let's see what's happening in the market. And I think we saw that in the first half of the year. You mentioned your credit facility and Apollo, obviously a pretty, pretty big name in uh, in the space. And I'm curious, because this was, I read about it in August. I don't know when that actually, when you closed it, but how was that process of raising the new facility? And I mean, is this something that, like I noticed that there's no banks it looks like in the credit facility that uh, according to the article I read. So tell us a little bit about the the process and who's who's sort of participating in that credit facility. So it's, we're funded by a division of Apollo that, that that's their business it is, is to provide credit facilities to alternative lenders. They were the same, provider we had before we renewed in uh, July. So we've been with them now um, about two and a half years. And I would say it was, um, I mean, we have a long track record and a really good track record. So that's helpful because when you're going out to raise a facility, um, especially in a, a tighter market like this, that's all that matters. You know, they're not interested in the story. They're interested in your data. Show us what you've done. You know, it's it's a whole, it's a much different due diligence process than say raising venture capital because it's all backward looking. Almost I'd say 98% is backward looking versus forward looking. And they're looking for a long track record. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, it was relatively easy, but that said it was a much different market than it was two years ago in 2021, just because there's a lot of, you know, especially if you think of the time that we were renewing our facility was in Q2 because the renewal was up in July. Um, or the renewal time was in July. That was a terrible time in the market for credit. SVB had just collapsed. Right. So it was not the best time to be out there, probably. <laughs> I would have liked to have had more funds competing for it, put it that way. Right. But but that said, we have um, 
Apollo has been an incredible partner to work with. We're we're really lucky because that partnership is so important. I, I think until you run a credit fund, you don't appreciate a credit a, a lending company. You don't appreciate how important that relationship. It's a much deeper relationship than most companies would have with, say, their venture provider, because they're essentially providing our product. Yeah, we don't have a product if we don't have them. Yeah, it is the product. Yeah. Yes, indeed, indeed. Okay, so last question then: What's your vision for the future of Lighter Capital? Where are, where are you taking this? Like I said earlier, you know, Lighter has a really strong relationship with the customers, but we say we're more than money, and and we really are more than money. This is, uh, you know, this is not where you're going just to get money to fund your business, but it's to join a community of other CEOs. We have, uh, we've funded over, we've done over 1,100 rounds of financing. We have a community of hundreds of B2B SaaS CEOs, and a lot of them are in the same boat. So this is the place to come to find out what's going on in B2B SaaS to, you know, build your community around other, you know, B2B SaaS CEOs. We have CEO groups, we have our CEO summit, we have a bunch of other perks that are available for our companies. And we also are, um, we just launched something that's pretty exciting called Lighter Analytics in our servicing portal. You know, we have all of the data on all of our companies because we're plugged into their accounting platform and their banking platform and their billing systems. So we're now giving them back their data in a way that they can use it. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, Melissa, great to chat with you. Um, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Great to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.